Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Dave Hendricks, founder and CEO of Vitalo, an SEC-registered transfer agent and registrar, or record-keeping business, for privately owned and managed issuers of digital securities. The goal of the company is to clear away the chief technical obstacle to private companies making their securities more tradable and more usable as collateral through digitization, namely the difficulty of moving data about a digital asset between different issuance and trading platforms. Dave, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Dominic. Looking forward to our discussion today. Now, what in your personal career path brought you and your co-founders to this opportunity and this business? Uh, we, uh, my, uh, my two co-founders, I've, I've got two. Uh, one is William Baxter, he's our CTO. And the other one is Gautam Gujral, who's our general counsel. Uh, we've known each other for uh, many years. Too, too, too many here, I'll, I'll date myself. But the interesting thing about us as a, as a founding trio and how we got here was that uh, you know one you know we we'd work together and we're complementary as kind of people and one of the things about founders and putting founders together is uh, it, it has to kind of be one plus one equals three uh, there's got to be some kind of uh, some overlap but you know, less redundancy uh, my CTO co-founder William he and I uh, started working together uh, twenty years ago and I was the uh, head of sales and marketing for an email marketing platform called Cheetah Mail. Uh, he was the head of technology, and we built the world's largest email service provider uh, called Cheetah Mail. And we learned a lot about building multi-tenant systems that where you could have, you know, first of all, bring on lots of heterogeneous data, and also uh, have lots of different kind of competitors on the same platform, so you could serve. Uh, parties that were, you know, ostensibly competing with each other, but but without any conflict. And so we were we were successful there. But uh, we we after the company was acquired, we ended up going our separate ways. Uh, my my uh, my my co other co founder Gautam Gujral, our general counsel, he and I went to school together, and then he went on to the SEC after uh, graduating from Georgetown Law where he was instrumental in the authorship of Regulation ATS, which is the alternative trading system uh, regulation that, you know, uh, TZRO, uh, uh, those kinds of companies, uh, NASDAQ Private Market, Forge Markets, OTC Markets, so many other uh, uh, trading platforms run under. And um, my career, I started out at Arthur Anderson, uh, in the uh, audit division, and I got involved in securitizations of assets uh, starting in the early 90s and uh, actually worked on the Resolution Trust Corporation SNL crisis workouts. So I started building databases back in the 90s to, to transform assets for disposition. Uh, I then went to Oracle. I ran the worldwide relationship between Oracle and Arthur Anderson, so large database company, accounting company. Uh, and then I uh, got involved in startups and uh, as a principal and a co-founder in uh, CRM and first-party data startups. And if you look at the world of 
um, assets, uh, you know, private assets of shares. It's essentially a bunch of first party data and it's a, a very database driven and it's legal driven. And so are my two co-founders, one's technical coder, the other one's a legal coder and I'm the, I'm the business and kind of uh, product uh, vision guy. And so, well, you know, we started doing this in 2016 informally and here we are in 2022 uh, and having a great time at it. Mm-hmm. So you, you, between you, you you brought to the business a, a mix of skills, building ecosystems, knowing about data, knowing about law and and regulation. But what brought you precisely to this opportunity? What's the what's the yeah. history of Vitalo as a business? Well, so the the genesis of the business was that in my last company's Series D round, um, it almost blew up in diligence. And it was related to human capital due diligence. Uh, I managed to to put together what ended up being a $35 million funding round. This is in 2015. And then I move over to London and uh, my CEO partner stayed in New York. Uh, It was was a really interesting experience and I never forgot it. And I, I was kind of looking to do the next thing. And so in 2016, me and William and Gautam got together in Berlin and we started talking about some problems. The first thing we created uh, starting in 2017, was a due diligence platform based on Ethereum smart contracts. And we released that to my last company in July 2017. And then we thought about doing an ICO. Well, uh, I wrote a white paper and a yellow paper, and I took this to Gautam, my general counsel. I said, hey, look, we can raise all this non-dilutive funding. You know, all the cool kids are doing it. And um, he took it to our lawyers at Lowenstein Sandler, and he, he came back and said, mm, no ICO for you. So in October of 2017, when everybody else was doing a, uh, an ICO, we decided to do a digital asset security, what some people call a security token offering, uh, under Reg D and Reg S. And we created a subsidiary of the parent company. Uh, the subsidiary is called Vertalo in the Cayman Islands. We then started trying to raise against this early security token in early 2018, and we eventually uh, issued uh, so-called security tokens to 53 holders in March of 2018. But as a fundraising um, uh, event, it was not very successful. The way we got to today's Vertalo was we saw there was a hole in the market. There were companies were issuing tokens, you know, I call them token issuance platforms, uh, you know, and charging a lot of money for it. We saw companies being stood up to trade them over here. And we knew how to, we knew a lot about both these things. But what we what we found was that there was something missing in the middle. And what was missing in the middle was kind of a governance layer. It was uh, it was a way for issuers to uh, maintain a cap table and be able to transfer tokens and kind of manage that issuer to investor relationship. So in May of 2018, I said, oh, this other thing that we create is cool, but it's not it's not catching on. And we pivoted in May of 2018 to to build a platform, a digital asset data management platform that would be able to connect primary capital formation and digital assets with secondary liquidity. And that's kind of where then, you know, I think that, you know, there was a very, very small market at the time and it's still small on the on the tokenized side. But it ends up that actually it extends really well to analog securities as well. 
Um, I'll press you a bit on that uh, digital asset data management platform answer in a second. Before I do, can I ask you a very trivial question? I've asked you about, it may be trivial, I've asked you about the history of the company. I'd like to ask you about the geography. Um, on your website, it says you're in Austin, Texas, New York, and Seoul in Korea. Why those three cities? Well, we were doing a lot in Seoul um, up until the um, uh, you know health event that occurred uh, over 2020 uh, you know, mm -hmm. 21. And that kind of, that kind of, you know, petered out, unfortunately. The uh, the reason why was uh, that was a very, very active and advanced market in distributed ledger technology and uh, had a great regulatory regime. And we had some investors and advisors there and we spent some time there and, and, and we had some good traction going and then suddenly the thing happened and, and that kind of petered out. I hope to get back to that. Um, Austin, I started the company in uh, in in London, and when I decided to really get it going, I moved my family from London to Austin because I'd ran a company here, and that's where my CTO uh, William uh, was living. And if you don't have a great CTO and a great business partner, it's hard to build something like what we're building. And Austin's a great place; you can see it in the background here. It's a fantastic place, and it's only three and a half hours from pretty much anywhere in the U.S. <laughs> New York. You got to be in New York if you're in capital markets. Um, and so Gautam has lived uh, outside of New York, and he's our guy who focuses on the street. And I expect that we'll grow as much in New York uh, over the next couple of years as we will in Austin, uh, because we want to be face-to-face uh, -face mm -hmm. with people. And that's where a lot of the action is. Now, thanks for that. Back to, back to that uh, digital asset data management uh, platform. Is that how you would describe the core business of Vitalo? Uh, I would describe the core business as transforming illiquid assets into tradable and transferable digital asset securities. That's the core business is effectively taking something over here, which is in a in a form that is not tradable, and and moving it through our system so that it can be traded and transferred. In order to do that, you've got to work with data, and. Uh, and you know, we, you know, we you know, on, on one side, uh, there's a whole bunch of unformatted or or incompatible data which is not um, ready to for transfer or trading. And on, on the other side, there are places that want to trade and transfer the data. So what we do is we bring data onto our platform and we make it tradable and transferable. So I refer to that as digital asset data management. Now, it's probably more digital asset securities data management. But, you know, I'm trying to keep the acronym uh, a little com compact to the acronym, but that's that's basically what we mean by it. Mm -hmm. So making things illiquid, does that mean that the target, the natural target client base of Vitalo is private companies? And they might be startups, they might be well-established, small and medium-sized enterprises, might be some other kind of, of private company. Is that your your your, your target client list? So initially, our target clients were folks that want to uh, raise money against uh, tokenized securities, and that's where we had to start because we had to we had to work with um, other kind of pioneering startup type companies because they have a high tolerance for newness, and um, and th they were very helpful. And we you know had you know more than fifty of those companies come onto our platform. Um, the, the problem is that those, uh, you know, if you work with early stage companies, uh, 
not only do you have an execution risk and a financial risk, but the shares early early stage company shares generally are not tradable. Not not because uh, for technical reasons or regulatory reasons, but because they're they're not worth much, and there's the the um, enterprise behind a you know a small offering is still fairly speculative. It doesn't have a lot of operating history, et cetera. But working with SMEs and kind of startups was great for us to cut our teeth, and uh, and it enabled us to learn a lot. And we're really really thankful to so many of those clients. We're really more designed for uh, companies that are stuck in this concept that I call the gulch of death. Um, they're uh, they're they're uh, too big to get acquired in many cases, but they're too small to go public. Uh, but you know, in this world, you know, if you're a five hundred million dollar value asset, you're not going to get listed on a public exchange, on you know LSE or Nasdaq or NYSE. There's fifteen thousand of these companies, and as the IPO markets close and you know things change, what we're really targeted on in terms of clients are are companies that have uh, that have needs for secondary liquidity, and so that could be a real estate company that wants to fractionalize a property. It could be a venture funded company that uh, wants to give secondary liquidity to its uh, mm -hmm. its investors or its employees, or it could be a large financial institution that wants to uh, take illiquid assets that are on its balance sheet and uh, and make them tradable. So it does scale up from the smallest company, but it's it's designed to scale to the largest assets for the most demanding financial institutions. So is that the problem that Vitalo solves, this class of company that's the wrong size to either get acquired or to do an IPO, but who would like their liabilities to become tradable. Is that a good description of the problem you're solving? It's a good description, but I'd also uh, I'd also probably put a point on it and say, we help with price discovery. Um, we uh, and, and uh, normalization. It, you know, today, the typical model is a company stays private. And let's just stay with the venture funded model that the typical company stays uh, private, meaning taking private funding and not going public for 11 to 13 years for those who go public. Um, and they go suddenly from a company that has, you know, uh, kind of random governance, depending on how they're set up, to, to having to suddenly um, account for themselves to the public. One of the, one of the value adds that we do is we create kind of a mezzanine liquidity opportunity, a way to put training wheels on private companies between being fully private and going public. And this kind of conditioning is helpful for the management team. It's also helpful when you go public because if you run on a system like ours and you're trading on, uh, on a platform like T0 or Forge or NASDAQ private market or, or, or Texture or Simbridge or these other ATSs, if you get a couple of years of, of trading history and uh, and you know in quarterly disclosures, it, when it comes time to go public, or if someone wants to come and acquire you, you're really in much better shape to justify your valuation because you've got you know uh, you you the, the investor sentiment, the buyer sentiment is well established, and you know how to file uh, reports and things like that. So I think what we do is we really 
we're staging an area for data. We're staging an area for companies who want to uh, want to go to the next level. Now we've talked as if these company liabilities, these investor assets, uh, making them liquid, making them tradable, that it's obvious what we're what we're talking about here. But how exactly is Vitalo contributing to making this type of asset more more liquid, more tradable, tradable in these secondary markets, these ATSs you've referred to? Um, how would you say that you're contributing to that increase in tradability and liquidity? So if you're keeping your share ledger on a spreadsheet, it's pretty much impossible to create a market. Um, if you if you're if you've distributed paper shares to your shareholders and they're holding them in a file somewhere, it's very difficult to create a market. And for the longest time, uh, private asset markets have been essentially peer-to-peer -peer or OTC. Um, and uh, there's uh, no way for uh, to get distribution. Uh, there's no way to to let a larger audience uh, be aware that uh, these shares are available for purchase or for sale. And so by staging them on our system, it enables the uh, the listing, um, the, uh, the the promotion of uh, the availability of these shares on regulated trading platforms. And so what we serve as is a conduit between a spreadsheet, which is, or a central database, which is over here and a, a, a platform over there where a, a buyer can come in and browse uh, for things they might want to invest in. They, people don't know that shares are available for sale in private companies, but they are. I mean, if you want to buy shares in you know, any of the thousand unicorns, you could certainly go and buy them, but you don't even know where to start. Who do you call? Um, these order matching systems. The, in the US, there are uh, alternative trading systems. And in, in the UK, for example, there'd be exchanges like Archax. Um, these, these platforms need a supply, okay, in the form of shares, which are prepared to be bought by demand. And we what we do is we tee up that data so that it can be uh, served up into these platforms. This is different from what we've come to know and love as the pink sheets market, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's different than the pink sheets market. First of all, um, uh, the pink sheets markets, uh, they serve, a, they, 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 uh, they definitely uh, uh, serve a need uh, in the market uh, for liquidity and small cap stocks. Mm -hmm. um, but they're also, there's also, uh, you know, some kind of interesting activity which happens around pink sheets, which doesn't really happen in the digital asset securities market. In the digital, I, I said, politely. I think I know what you're referring to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Said politely. Um, yeah. Uh, there's no $2 billion New Jersey delicatessens in, in mm -hmm. our market. Um, but uh, essentially, there's no short selling. Uh, in digital asset securities. You might try to find a way to do it, but it's all basically uh, seller selling long and buyers buying uh, mm -hmm. you know, actual shares. There's no rehypothecation. Mm -hmm. There aren't, you know, there's no, uh, there's no puts and calls. There's no uh, borrowed shares, et cetera. And, and so it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 not, it's different than big sheets. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if, if I'm a, um, a, a target 
company of, of the Vitalo service. I don't want to go near the, the, the pink sheets market because I don't want to be pumped and dumped or short sold up the wazoo. But I have got my my share register. I've got my my cap table. I've and I want to I want these um these securities to be bought and sold, uh, but I've got it all on a spreadsheet. Is that the data? When you describe the business as a digital asset data management platform, yeah. is that the data you're talking about? That register, that cap table, yeah. that offers that buy bid offer. Yeah, I mean, it would be the stuff that's in you know the data that's that is you know kept at companies house over in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, it would be data that was held either in a spreadsheet or on a cap table platform like a Carta or a Pulley or a certain over here. Um, that's the base data. Sometimes it's again, sometimes it's just a spreadsheet, uh, but not that often on the uh, on the CFO or director of finances computer. Uh, sometimes it's data in a centralized database in a, a larger company. That's the that's the source data. Mm-hmm. Talking of centralized databases, I think the the DTCC, the American Central Securities Depository, keeps a register, if you like, of 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 securities available in the U.S. Do you? Do you have to work with them? Do you get involved with them in the work that you do with issuers or not? Um, well, I, I, I'm i on an advisory board uh, for digital securities management uh, mm-hmm. at the DTCC, and I've been uh, working uh, closely with the DTCC for uh, going on a couple of years now. Uh, the, the securities that we work in or uh, are, are with are not necessarily DTC eligible securities. Uh, you know, DTC is, you know, taking a hard look at the private markets and which is smart because mm-hmm. private markets are bigger than public markets. Um, but this is, it's slightly orthogonal to that. Uh-huh. So the project the DTCC has um, to to effectively reproduce what it does in the public markets, in the private markets, uh, that initiative is not off the ground yet, as far as I understand, but um, that wouldn't lead to you having to integrate what you do with, with them in any way or is it too soon to oh, say well you know uh, hard, uh, hard to hard to speak uh uh at uh, detail on on this one dominic mm-hmm. uh for uh reasons of confidentiality etc but um but they're they're they are snapping into uh planning to snap into the private asset ecosystem and i already have apis that connect and enable the private digital asset ecosystem. So uh, you can draw your conclusions as you will. Yeah. Okay. So your clients uh, don't need to worry about that. Now, um, I'm interested you talk about um, digital assets. You talk about digitizing shares rather than you did use the word tokenization, but it's noticeable that you tend to shy away from tokens and, and tokenization. Is there a reason for that? And if there is, what's what's the difference between the two in your mind? So anytime we bring data onto our system, it is by uh, definition digitized because we use uh, computer systems to manage this data, not pen and paper. And we we turn them into, you know, data objects in our system. Um, We started out being kind of tokenization maxis, and we thought that, uh, you know, everything would get tokenized. Uh, the, The problem is not the tokenization itself. And I can get into why tokenization is extremely valuable, but the the, the tokens that are produced from tokenization are different than, say, the ERC twenties that are traded on Binance or or, or Dexes. They're uh, every firm that tokenizes assets uses a different smart contract, 
approach to it. And this causes compatibility issues at alternative trading systems and, and generally trading systems because you know the, the data is not compatible and it's um you know it's kind of Tower of Babel type stuff. Um we don't need to actually use the token to facilitate trading. We send over long balances using APIs. I would argue that the primary benefit of tokenization today is actually in the creation of an immutable ledger of shareholders, an auditable ledger, uh, a ledger which is uh, resistant to accidental deletion or intentional corruption. Uh, when you tokenize an asset, you basically shard that database across all the nodes of the blockchain protocol that you use, and uh, and any change is recorded. Meaning, it's a, called a state database. You can see the you can see who owned what or what wallet owned what at any time in the uh, in the past. And so, tokenization produces a superior ledger to a single entry cap table, either on a cap table platform or a spreadsheet or a centralized database because of the reasons. Um, uh, tokens themselves are kind of exhaust or a byproduct. They are, they are a representation of ownership. And in some cases, if you're using a closed system and there's some closed walled garden systems in our, in our, um, in our industry, which can produce tokens and trade them on their own platform. But just take, but they don't, they 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 you know uh, comp sufficiently complicated, uh, so-called security token cannot trade everywhere and it cannot do its own compliance and that's a uh, that's a big issue. I do believe, however, that tokenization has a perhaps more brighter future for collateralization than it does for uh, for the for the sale and purchase of digital asset securities. So you are using blockchain technology, but you're just not a tokenization Nazi, as you put it at this point. Maxi, uh, but not Nazi. Oh, Maxi, sorry, forgive no. me. I, I, I was yeah, no, expressing no, no. A, a fanaticism about uh, no, I'm not, tokenization. No, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not in the business of calling calling people names, uh, but Maxi is a good name. Uh, mm -hmm. No, we um, tokenization is optional in our system, and it can be done in a matter of minutes. And we can tokenize anything which is divisible, and that's up to a hundred percent. And we we've done you know uh, thousands of tokenizations, and it's very easy for us to do. Uh, but the you know again the 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 value that it creates is primarily in the ledger today, and uh, and you know when the when the standards get created, uh, then we'll be in a good position to uh, to actually use the tokens as what as the way people, the dreamers, want to use them for. But I'm right to say you're using blockchain technology, and if so, which one Stanza. are you using? Uh, Ethereum and Tezos. Um, mm. Ethereum because you know everybody uses uh, Ethereum for these things, and mm. Tezos because it's cheaper and it's faster. Um, and you know, in full disclosure, uh, we do have. An investment into the company uh, by uh, the Tezos Foundation, which we got uh, almost four years ago, but we're not required to use it. And uh, when we recommend it, it's because of cost and uh, speed uh, rather than you know anyone telling us what we have to do. Okay, you're not a tokenization maxi, but are you a are you a digital maxi, or can you service analog securities? By which I mean paper as well. 
No, we don't deal with any paper. We deal with only dematerialized digital asset securities, and uh, no one really uses paper, especially in private. Mm. Um, there are some folks that still use paper, and there are plenty of paper certificates floating around, but you know that's mostly a public uh, markets thing. And um, this, you know, what we do uh, is not going to uh, in to where we are today with the you know transactions per second throughput of blockchain. We're not taking this to public markets uh, as a way to improve public markets. There's such a huge opportunity to use this technology to improve private markets and private markets are already digital. So we don't have to deal with anyone. Now you referred to APIs uh, more than once in this, in this conversation. It, it, they're the technique by which you're, you're sharing data with the people that, that need to see it. What's the, uh, the advantage of, of the API model? And in particular, I'm wondering here, how effective it is at being indifferent to who is receiving the data. Do you not need to, in effect, standardize these APIs or are they sufficiently flexible for anybody who needs to see data from you to uh, accept and make use of that data? Do you, are standards needed here with APIs? Yeah, well, we have we have a standard API, so we can't create custom APIs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so our APIs, uh, we, we're, we believe we can create a standard at least uh, within, uh, you know, initially a, 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 within a smaller ecosystem, but really moving data around. Um, we've kind of, I think we've taken a, a page out of the um, SMTP book, which is the, which is the kind of uh, standard for uh, email, transmitting email data. You can think of us kind of similar to an ECN or to SMTP and email, et cetera. And it's very, very difficult to scale anything without standards. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, we use APIs, application programming interfaces to connect computers to other computers and move data in standard formats between them. And uh, it's better than FTP and it's, you know, uh, it works quite well. Uh -huh. And a potential user, where can they get those APIs? They just go to a library and download it, do they? API.vertalo.com. You can go and look at the APIs there. We haven't open sourced them. That might be later. Same thing with our smart contracts. Um, but uh, API.vertalo.com, if you want to learn about our APIs. And our whole system is built on top of our API. So if you wanted to build your own token issuance and transfer agent platform, if you want to build your own digital asset data management platform, you can actually license our APIs and you can build on top of those, just like we built on top of our APIs, our own app. I'm, I'm asking you about APIs because it's actually they're pretty crucial to one of your, your core objectives, which is to increase interoperability between these ATSs, let's call them digital asset trading platforms. Uh, which you see as crucial to making these assets tradable and, and more liquid, making it easier for investors to, to yeah. move between these various platforms. Um, is that, are APIs the, the, the central contribution you're making to that interoperability challenge? Or are you doing other things as well? Uh, I would say that the, um, the APIs uh, serve to move data around that we have standardized on our system. So uh, the, the, AP, the APIs enable us to light up an ecosystem 
and work with lots of different parties in a in, 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 uh, similar um, way or identical fashion. So the, um, you know, how you how you format data is very important, how you transmit data is very important. And we're interested in setting standards in both how data is formatted, that means, you know, securities instruments, and how that data is, uh, is transmitted to other parties. You've been very articulate about the the importance of a uh, blockchain to, to the ledger. Uh, but I was interested to see that you also mirror that that blockchain ledger onto a onto a conventional database. What's the logic of doing that? Um, well, it's less logic than uh, than we're that, than that we're compelled to do it. Uh, today in the United States, the securities regulators do not recognize blockchain as a single source of truth. Uh, they they trust a central database, a spreadsheet, um, you know, jottings on a cocktail napkin. Uh, anything is more valuable, more truthful uh, to the regulators today than uh, so-called blockchain is or distributed ledger protocols. Uh, we believe that will change, um, but we use uh, we mirror uh, on chain from Postgres. And that's because we've done a lot of work with the SEC and FINRA, and we spent a lot of time with the regulators in general, and uh, we're pretty bright line, and that's how they'd like to do it today. And I'd like to think that we'll be uh, influential in getting them to uh, accept what I think is the inevitable truth, that blockchain is a better uh, share ledger than a spreadsheet. Uh-huh. But Vitalium but, but is, to some extent, a, in fact, to a very large extent, is a, really is a, a digital transfer agent and that that sec insistence in effect on issuers continue to use transfer agents is that you're making it sound as if that's not a problem for you but i i wonder are you are you dependent in some way on the on the sec continuing to take that uh that effectively backward looking view or are we just talking about the difference between being digital and being non-digital here you know the thing about being uh a transfer agent is that it's it it's it's very easy to get a transfer agent license. Anyone who's listening uh, here can uh, more easily get a transfer agent license than it can get a uh, a hair haircutting license in the state of New York. Okay, it's harder to do that. Um, the 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 um, transfer agent rule book is is relatively dense. Uh, but no one really understands what a transfer agent does. Uh, private companies and have no are not compelled or required to use transfer agents. But when you do start trading uh, shares in like an active order book on an alternative trading system or something similar, uh, there the SEC and Finner have expressed a requirement to use a, a transfer agent. And as a result, we've had a lot of conversations with them. It's basically it's books and records and it's part of uh, good corporate governance. And it's, you know, it, it's uh, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's actually an added step. I I would I would uh, I would argue that uh, custodying digital asset securities is an unnecessary step because in our case, they can't really be stolen. Uh, so, it, it, you know, and if they are somehow, they can be uh, recovered or reissued. Um, really, what we do is we enable the kind of normalization and stewardship 
of some of, if not the most important data uh, managed by any company, which is who owns their shares. And broker dealers by law cannot manage this. And, and so uh, people don't manage their ledgers at broker dealers. So that's where the transfer agent discusses that. Is there an irony at work here? And I'll, what I mean by that is that it's not difficult to find articles or papers which say that if anybody is doomed in a, uh, a tokenized blockchain-based securities market of the future, it is the, the transfer agent. I've probably written a few such pieces myself. But here we have a case where, where Vitale, which is using blockchain technology to create a, a new type of digital transfer agents. In effect, you're reinventing transfer agency for the age of digital assets. Yeah. Am I right to find that ironic? Or did those of us who said the transfer agents are doomed in a blockchain future were just wrong? Uh, I would say that the traditional transfer agents who uh, don't operate on the same kind of data rails as, as, as a digital transfer agent like Fertalo, um, they're not nimble enough or inexpensive enough, uh, modern enough to really deal with this data type. And they also have almost no experience dealing with uh, private companies. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that the that if you take a look at the companies in tokenization, uh, almost every single one of them is repositioning themselves as a transfer agent. It's really funny. They used to really uh, say, oh, I'm a token issuance uh, provider, and I refer to them as TIPS. But almost everybody now claims that they're a transfer agent because uh, it's actually, uh, it's a, the, the orderly uh, and regulated transfer of uh, ownership from one party to another is a pretty important job. Um, and it, it has to be, it's not, it, it's not an afterthought and, you know, it's been a big part of the public markets. I mean, the public market transfer agents are multi-billion dollar market cap companies, but they're plugged into a system which was developed, uh, you know, almost 50 years ago and under rules from, uh, almost a hundred years ago. And, um, we're just, we're bringing the best of that, uh, to the private asset market and, and and kind of uh, trimming off uh, the unnecessary kind of legacy um, friction that those things create at the same time. Can I ask you a question? I probably should have asked a while ago. Is the is the service you're offering limited to equities, or can it apply to any financial liability which can be digitized, bonds, funds, etc.? Vertalo can work with any asset in any jurisdiction under any legal agreement as long as it's divisible and uh, and it, it, it's something that wants to be uh, fractionalized and traded. So income streams, debt, collectibles, real estate, equity, any of those things. Uh, it has to, it probably needs to have, um, it probably needs to be divisible and add up to a hundred percent. If it's, you know, this, this is actually an interesting question because there's a lot of folks who are saying, okay, all these ICO tokens, uh, those are securities. Well, it's very, very difficult to uh, to manage um, uh, a pool of something that is expanding and contracting, because you 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 can't you can't actually manage uh, what percentage you own. 
Um, and and when it comes to things like pseudonymity, which is you know uh, kind of a hallmark of of crypto, it's very difficult to to manage corporate governance when you do not know who your shareholders are. Um, so anything where it's important or necessary to know who owns the shares and what percent they own and at what price they paid, that's a great job for a transfer agent. So if I asked you to to itemize the functions which an issuer can benefit from if they come to the Batano platform, what would be on that list, the functions you offer to the issuer? So we work with companies, Vertalo works with companies that, from dollar zero all the way through to secondary liquidity. So we can aid companies in their primary capital formation, not as a broker dealer, but as a as an investor onboarding platform. We have something called Vertalo IO. Um, we can we can help um, manage an existing ledger of shareholders, um, whether it's got ten or or a hundred thousand shareholders. Um, we can we can tokenize that wholly or in part. Uh, we can uh, we can normalize uh, that data and uh, and and can help convert it. Uh, we can also prepare that data for trading on a secondary platform and uh, and we can manage the you know kind of ongoing issuer and investor relationship so if you want to if you want to you know transform your company from a non-trading uh private company to a, a semi-private or semi-public uh trading uh company uh we can help you from the from inception through secondary liquidity and beyond and if you were to, to itemize the benefits to, to issuers, I can see that this is going to be more economical than, than an IPO to start with. This is, this is worth doing because it's not too too costly for them. But what are the other benefits? They get they get an up-to-date uh, uh, um, register. The record date is always today, if you like. Um, but does it also help them overcome the complexity of having these different uh, liabilities out there Oh, trading on different platforms owned by different people. Is there a sort of reconciliation function you're providing as well? We're we steward data. Okay. We're we're you know, if you're an investor in a company, you wanna you wanna make sure that uh your 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 holdings in the in that company are properly documented um and that you know you're you're you you're where you should be on the cap table in terms of your ownership and your rights and your ability to transfer etc um we provide an, an important uh kind of trust type role not like a like like a trust company but we we increase the level of trust between an issuer and an investor um we while the system can enable extreme transparency, meaning you can see balances in wallets. We also balance transparency with privacy and security, and we developed keyless custodial wallets. Uh, so when we do an issuance, we create wallets that have never been seen before. So that means that while they may your holdings may be on chain, they're in a wallet address that no one's traded with, so no one can infer your holdings. Um, you know, in our case, we don't necessarily trust um, uh, pseudonymous investors, and we don't uh, necessarily trust uh, people's ability to maintain private keys. 
Um, and so we make it so that people know that they don't have to worry about their uh, their so-called digital asset security tokens being stolen because they can't be stolen from our system. And if somehow they were, we're not sure how that would happen. We can we can reissue them and shut out the other ones. So uh, there, it's it's really a, a factor of confidence and trust. And that's when you work with a company like ours, you're looking for that. And the the benefits for investors are, as you've described, they too can trust the data. They have custodial wallets. You touched earlier on uh, on the ability to use these assets as as collateral for for other financial liabilities, loans, for example. Yeah. Anything you'd add to that to that list? Um, benefits yeah, I, think for I, I think that's a, I think that's a great place to start. Um, you know, it, it's a we're you know we're really interested in managing one piece of information, one line, one row, and that is who owns what, when they buy it, at what price, and uh, what restrictions are on that, uh, and uh, can it be traded or not, and where, and and what was the last price paid. Um, that's what we're interested in managing, and I think that's what investors are interested in knowing, and issuers and investors need to agree on that. Uh, now, the next thing, you know, we're where this industry is going, in my belief, a very uh, strongly, uh, well, pretty strongly held, pretty strong conviction is the is the use of um, kind of DeFi lending pools for real world assets to uh, to facilitate share lending. Um, I, I think that, you know, share lending in private markets is uh, very nascent. It's uh, there's not much of that. Occasionally, people use, uh, you know, private shares as collateral. Uh, but it's 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 very manual and it's very uh, um, you know it's not standardized. Now, one of the earliest comments you made, almost en passant, in in this conversation, was that you had experience of building uh, ecosystem infrastructure, I suppose, for ecosystems of non-competing participants oh. in a in a marketplace. I notice you have partners as well as clients. So, how does a how does a partner differ? From a client, uh, well, so in our in, in our world, um, partners, uh, everyone's a partner. First of all, okay. Uh, so we we work very closely with folks to um, to help them uh, uh, get the most out of our ecosystem. And what that means is that they're 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 uh, because we connect to other platforms. We are. Uh, whether that's an issuer, uh, their website raising money, or whether it's a trading platform, or whether it's a custodian, um, we have to work together. Okay, um, you know, yeah, are we a vendor to issuers? Absolutely. Um, are we uh, a vendor to investors? Oh well, they don't pay us, so uh, we don't get money from in, from investors in their portfolio accounts. So the, the issuer pays for that, um, but. I, I like um, I kind of like the uh, peer relationship with everybody because it's highly cooperative and it's highly integrative. And I, I uh, when something is when something is collaborative and integrative, uh, and both parties have to play uh, a role to make it work, I call that partner. But you're also working with with third party businesses, aren't you? Um, what do they bring to your? To your offering and what types of third-party businesses are you working with 
So we work with, uh, for example, NetKey. Uh, we've integrated their platform into Vertalo, and they do uh, KYC and AML. Uh, for accreditation, uh, we partnered with a company called InvestReady, um, and they do uh, accreditation. Uh, we partnered with DocuSign for document signing for you know any of these legal documents. We've partnered with North Capital for escrow and custody, as well as secondary trading. Um, we've got uh, five ATS partners, uh, including Texture Capital, uh, SimBridge, Shift Markets, T0, and North Capital's PPEX. Um, and, um, and so... Uh, those are, you know, generally our partners, and then we've got some, uh, we've got some broker dealers and RIAs and kind of capital advisors, uh, too many to name, and uh, we work closely with them and a bunch of crowdfunding platforms that are plugged into us, and you know, again, it's partner because um, you know we're, you know, uh, we help each other. And that's the, those are the kinds of partners we work with. I mean, we, we don't raise money for anybody, but we help people manage the fundraising process and we don't pre provide a marketplace. Our partners provide marketplaces for our issuers, investors, and the APIs are the connective fiber for this partnership network. Could we talk a little bit about where you, where you've got to, now, obviously, the the XY Labs Reg A and Reg D issue that was a, a flagship issue for for Vitalo. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder first what you'd highlight about that issue in particular as being important. But secondly, what's the pipeline look for other issuers at the moment? So um, XY Labs is really interesting. They uh, they initially worked with. Uh, with Carta, and that that was you know kind of earlier in their career, and they wanted to go get secondary liquidity to them, but apparently that wasn't uh, that that wasn't possible, and they moved over to Broadridge, which is a large um, financial technology platform, but they couldn't make their shares liquid through their partnership with Broadridge, and so what we did for them was we enabled their twenty four thousand or so uh, shareholders to move their shares from an untradeable state and deposit them onto Vertalo so that they could trade on T0. And so uh, we, we took a whole bunch of different share classes and different prices and different times. We were able to you know, kind of do ETL, uh, extract, 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 transform, and load operations and get all that data onto our system and stage it so it could be traded on the T0 alternative trading system. And uh, this turned out so far, it's uh, pretty big. I mean, with 24,000, uh, by far the largest digital asset securities listing uh, yet to date. Uh, and it, only because our system is meant to scale and that we're able to, uh, to, to do pretty deep data transformation work that we are able to do things that uh, multi-billion dollar companies could not do. Mm -hmm. So you've proved that that this works. You can take a bunch of existing securities, migrate them onto, in this case, uh, tier zero, and it's it was clearly worth doing um, for the issuer. What's the what's your explanation of um, of why the the security token market, if I could call it that, we call it digital asset market, if you like, why is it failing to 
to take off. The benefits seem to be clear. The, the savings are, are equally clear. Yet it's not happening at the scale people would have predicted two or three years ago. Why is that? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Um, first off, in the early days, people were focusing on something that, that it's called a security token offerings or STOs, mm-hmm. and it was it was all around raising money by selling security tokens in early stage offerings. Well, if anyone who's invested for any amount of time knows that uh you know 90x percent i'm not who knows what the number is uh of early stage ventures fail uh and that is you know if you invest in those things you you should do it with an understanding that you could lose everything um security tokens don't make it easier to raise money um it and it, it early on and when i say early 2018 19 etc it attracted a lot of issuers that were looking at so-called security tokens as a halo effect, something to make their offering sexy to folks that were interested in crypto. Um, but basically, essentially, it attracted the wrong the wrong issuers, and, and a lot of those things, those offerings, didn't go very far. So, fast forward to today. Um, you know, oh, what the other thing is that the, the you know these early offerings were all traded peer to peer, wallet to wallet, without a transfer agent and without you know, being listed properly on an ATS, and uh, it, it didn't it didn't solve the marketability problem either, and it created a technical hurdle for people to trade these things. You know, tra- tra- trading a trading a security token from your wallet to someone else's wallet is basically a Mexican standoff. Do you do you send the tokens first and then get the money, or do you send the money and then get the tokens? And that was kind of version one. Hmm. So uh, there was a technical hurdle. Um, there was a quality of issuance level uh, you know, issue that uh, you know kind of it 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 uh it. We got some black marks uh, and, and and took some black eyes from, and we we didn't really get into that market ourselves. Um, what what it really is is that the problem is not tokens; the problem is liquidity, and that's what we're focused on. This technology is great for facilitating secondary liquidity in previously illiquid assets, but not because of the tokens, but because of the connections between these systems. Uh, you know, using blockchain as a ledger, using APIs, um, you know, more trustful standards. It provides a great platform to take uh, an illiquid asset stored in a database or spreadsheet and transform it to making it tradable. And that's where we're focused. And then you actually have to have offerings. And this is a really critical problem. I mean, if you have something that no one's interested in investing in, blockchain will not fix that. Mm-hmm. Security tokens will not fix that. You need really high quality, um, and and then you know there's folks who just can't invest in things that have the word token in them. And I think that uh, you know depending on where we are in the crypto cycle, token is either a dirty word or it's got shine to it. And um, but just tokenizing something does not make it more investable. In fact, it may make it less so. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to that point about you've just made about the crypto cycle in a moment. But 
one reason often advanced for why security token offerings haven't taken off is, is regulatory uncertainty. Now, you are SEC registered, uh, and I, I wonder why you, you you thought it's important to go for that registration. Um, but also, what other regulators do you work with, and what do those what do those regulators like about what you're doing, and and what do your clients like about the fact you're regulated? Well, first of all, the that regulatory issue that people talk about is nonsense. There's no regulatory issue. Uh, you can we're we're trading we're we're enabling the trading of private assets under uh, Reg D, Reg S, Reg A, Reg CF uh, on SEC regulated alternative trading systems, and, and there it's we don't have any regulatory issues. Um, now, of course, you know, I have a co-founder who's former SEC, who was uh, was key in, in the authorship of Regulation ATS. So we understand uh, the regulations really well because one of my co-founders wrote it. Um, and, and we've spent a lot of time with the SEC and FINRA, uh, less with the CFTC, uh, left with less with OCC. Um, but you know, that really this, this, this really just comes down to, um, you know, working with the SEC and FINRA and we're not FINRA regulated because we're not a broker dealer, but we do assist in CMA filings. Um, this is not, the regulations are not an impediment. Quality, uh, is an impediment. There's no, you know, if folks think that, you know, look, I think accredited investor rules are or don't make any sense, okay? Maybe that's what people think is the regulatory impediment, but that doesn't apply just to digital asset securities. That applies to all private securities. So that's not, that hasn't held back venture funding or venture investment. So I think a lot of that's a bunch of nonsense. I I, I, I think that there's a lot of folks who want to cut corners and they get, they, they, they want to do things uh, on DEXs and in ways which are not, uh, investor friendly and those are the ones who complain and that's just an excuse i don't i don't buy it now back to that crypto cycle point you raised it's obviously been a very difficult year november 21 to november 22 in the cryptocurrency markets and another thing people aren't particularly clear in their minds but not all people anyway is the difference between say the security token markets and the cryptocurrency markets they're kind of all bound up in one and so when people see ftx fall over they think oh my goodness that's the end of the story for security tokens as well now that's clearly wrong but i don't know what point do you think we are in the in in the cycle is point one and and point two which is more important in a way where do you think all this is is heading what's what's your vision of the end state uh, of the digital asset markets if you look 10 15 20 years ahead Hmm. Well, I I try not to use the word end a lot. Um, so, but uh, so let's you know let's go to FTX. F F FTX was uh, a a case of um, bad stewardship. The best the best thing that you could say would be that it was poorly there was no stewardship and no accountability that's the best thing that you can say i think everyone has said enough about ftx but clearly there you know misuse of funds and poor record keeping and uh trans lack of transparency and 
who knows what else. Um, but you, know, you can go find that out. Um, I, I think that what we're doing here at Fertalo and what I think a lot of folks are trying to do in generally in this uh, digital asset securities ecosystem is to provide both security, uh, transparency, and privacy, trust, uh, but also tradability and transferability. And if you're holding these things, you've got to uh, you've you've got to embody all of those values. I, I think that I wouldn't have started this thing if I didn't think that all private assets want to be tradable. Um, it's a it's a global problem. Um, it's it's it has it's irrespective of asset class, of jurisdiction, of the structure of an asset. People invest in private companies to either get paid a dividend or to see it grow and then sell it at some point. So anything which makes a valuable asset easier to trade and transfer, I think is a societal good. And specifically, I would like to, I would like to see uh, a third way to liquidity besides M&A and IPO for private companies uh, so that long suffering employees can uh, get some liquidity for all their hard work as indentured servants for people like me, uh, right. that uh, eventually they can, uh, you know, despite being underpaid, they have a windfall at some point. And seeing a more fluid, open market in private equities, specifically you know, venture funded equities, that would be a great place to land. And I think that we're getting there. I wondered then if you were about to advocate DAOs Never. as a as a corporate model of the future to give those indentured servants that she referred to inside these large corporations some kind of equity reward for the the effort they're making. I I, I you know I'm not sure how a, how you create a DAO um, without centralization. Um, I think that. Sunlight. Uh, one of the things that you know by by putting by by putting um, owners on an immutable ledger, which can be inspected with a block explorer, uh, which has an audit trail, um, which is you know subordinate to legal documents. I think that's good. I think the problem with DAOs, and I think they'll, they'll, they'll this maybe ultimately will be fixed is the problem of pseudonymity. Um, it's also the problem of uh, central control and voting. And I, I, DAOs can't create themselves out of thin air. So as long as there was a, a team that started something, there's a, a force, a management, a force of management, an executive function, which has its own dog in the fight and its own interests. And I just think that humans, and this is not a bad thing, humans are inherently selfish and greedy, and they are, uh, we've seen effective altruism uh, at FTX and what that means, meaning stealing your money and giving it to other people. That's what effective altruism means. Hmm. I, 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 I don't know that the DAOs are able to conquer human nature and, uh, and you know, 
there's a reason why you have preferred shares and you have common shares. And, uh, and there's a reason why you have corporate governance and the reason why you have boards and the reason why mob rules are always chaotic. So I'm not sure that how a, um, not sure how a uh, DAO can um, attain its vaunt, its vaunted benefits today. And maybe in the future, there's a way for this to be done in a way which is uh, not creating a pseudonymous cabal that you, as an investor in the DAO, you just don't even know about. Yeah, I guess existing ownership structures are not just uh, conspiracies. Uh, they yeah. exist for real reasons uh, and are based on on experience. Yeah. Could we close, Dave, with just a couple of questions about um, about the status of your own uh, of Vitale business? My first question is really about how you get how you get paid. You've explained you don't get paid by investors. So, who is paying you? Um, what, what's we're, the commercial model? Yeah, we're a B two B SaaS digital asset data management system. Uh, we're allergic to transactional fees. We license our platform to broker dealers, RIAs, investment banks, real estate funds, fund managers, uh, or groups of entrepreneurs that want to build their own uh, digital or uh, tokenized um, platform. And so we license the platform. And uh, the folks that we license the platform to, the entities, they uh, work with assets or issuers of assets. And so those assets, the issuers, uh, sign transfer agent agreements with us to manage their uh, their share ledgers. And so our master licensors, who are, you know, again, broker dealers, RAs, et cetera, license our platform and they bring us assets who pay us to manage that data. So our clients pay us to bring us clients. And um, and it's, you know, it's a pure B2B SaaS license model. We don't take a percentage of assets. We don't take transactional or transfer fees from individuals or, you know, like uh, investors, et cetera. So it's a B2B SaaS system. My final question is about, I guess you could call it the the, the capital position. If we look at uh, what's happened in the, in the cryptocurrency markets over the last uh, uh, year, but perhaps even over the last 10 years, you know, every hack and every theft, not just, not just FTX falling over a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, but um, everything that's happened in those markets to which your business is inextricably linked, rightly or, or wrongly. Uh, and it ought, to be, it ought to be good for your business in the sense you are, you're transparent, you're secure, you're respectable, you're regulated and so on. Um, but I wonder if it has been, um, it, it may be too soon to say this, whether, whether you feel it's good for your business and if it is, um, whether, you, whether you need to raise more capital, what you would spend that, what you'd spend that capital on. I know that you're you, you're down to, to Series A, mm -hmm. yeah. raised 7.8 million. Um, so I don't, what, what are the existing shareholders thinking now? Um, is it time to, to double their bets or are they all feeling a bit a bit cautious? And whatever they're feeling, what do you what do you think of the next investments you need to make to capitalize on on what's happening in the marketplace? So we're uncorrelated from the crypto markets, uh, both, you know, kind of philosophically mm -hmm. and technically. Uh, our 
we we other than Coinbase, who's an investor in us and Tezos, and and the the the, the clients and the and the shareholders understand that, do they? I'm often oh, yeah. amazed at how people seem to jumble these things up. And and indeed, some very respectable firms were invested in FTX, weren't they? Clearly, without doing yeah. much due diligence. Yeah, I mean the folks that the folks that uh, invest in us are uh, typically uh, folks who understand um, startup velocity versus trading velocity. Um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of VCs out uh, who are investing equity in DeFi projects to get governance tokens. We never had a governance token. Uh, and they didn't really care about the equity in the company. They just wanted the governance token. Those folks were never interested in investing in us because we didn't have a liquid token that they could um, dump on retail later. And there was a lot of that in the, you know, in the DeFi kind of Web3 investing world. It's still there. They always want that token. Uh, and it's a, it's a great way for them to, uh, to get a quick return. And our investors are just not interested in that. We're going to continue to invest in uh, in in you know building a platform which connects and enables a digital asset securities ecosystem, which uh, which you know engenders trust uh, in you know across the you know the um, the landscape in 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 private uh, capital markets. And that ultimately solves a very important societal problem, which is uh, getting uh, liquidity for investors and employees at uh, at various um, ventures. And you know that that has a lot to do. You know, we, we just add add more trading platforms to 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 uh, to our network. Um, you know, cr creating uh, you know easier to use systems for issuers and investors. Um, and then, you know, the, one of the big things we'll be doing is, uh, I think, spending more time on collateralization of real world assets. And um, that's uh, that's kind of where we're going. But it's it, it's it's really in, uh, you know, safety scale, security and, uh, and you know, usability, because ultimately, uh, you know, we're, we're serving normals. It's got to be trustful. It's got to be easy to use. It's got to be more like AOL and Coinbase than it is like uh you know metamask and uh and you know uh, uniswap which are you know kind of beyond the scope of uh, a lot of normal people not to say dave, those are bad things yeah well, dave hendrix uh thanks very much for taking the uh time to talk to the members of future of finance well dominic thank you for having me and if you have any more questions you can always find me